It is truly a joy to be here. I've been holding back tears. It's just marvelous what God does in people's lives. And uh, it doesn't, no credit goes to a person, it goes to our Lord. But I just can't help but marvel in how God has brought Harris's here, uh, Armstrong's, and what a joy to have been part of their life at one point. And I trust that all of us will continue to just enjoy that privilege of encouraging one another. I love how you said that. Um, in fact, we could almost say amen and be dismissed, and some of you who are hungry might like that, but uh, what you're just saying, teach us, Lord, full obedience. Wow. Full obedience. And actually, when you think about in parents, uh, incomplete obedience is disobedience. It's not just, I obey 95% of the time, and God's saying, here, let's teach us, Lord, to have full obedience. And on and on that went. Take our thoughts and our attitudes. Um, there would be pure, just wonderful. And I love how even Pastor was mentioning to sing, of course, with each other. And we're hearing these songs back and forth. Well, we're privileged to be here today for a variety of reasons. And uh, we'll take just a moment to share that. But first of all, I wanted to introduce my wife and uh, myself. We've been married for 42 years, uh, beyond that right now. Susie's from Ohio, and I'm from Indiana. Uh, I spent first, the first 15 of my uh, 18 years of life in Taiwan as a missionary kid. Uh, I graduated in high school in 1977, as did Susie. And uh, uh, we, we met six months later and dated for three and a half years. We've been married since 1961, uh, 1981. We're not that old. Um, uh, we enjoy uh, motorcycling together, going on mission trips, and skiing. Susie's a ski instructor. You wouldn't think they have those down in the North Carolina area, but they do. And uh, she's been doing that for 22 years. And she's the artistic one. I'm the athletic one. Uh, the Lord has gifted us with four children. They're now all married. And uh, we also have uh, 12 grandchildren from them. So we're privileged to have those children in our life. Um, words fitly spoken. Uh, we'll talk about that today for a little while. But that is also the name of our ministry, where we're going to be heading out starting in January of 2024. We've been at Hampton Park these last 30 years. In fact, when you prayed for Calvary Baptist Church in Lansdale, we were there for the first 10 years of our ministry years. And then the Lord directed us to Indiana for three, and now we've been at Hampton Park. But just these last years, uh, our, our daughters had asked us earlier in their life to write a book on parenting. And so you'll hear a little bit more about this tonight. But uh, I did that and allowed me to write another book and another book and another book. And then those books have become means for us to go on mission trips. And we've been doing that now for about the last 14 years. And uh, in this past year, just seemed that the Lord was saying, you don't have time to serve here at Hampton Park anymore. There's younger men that are doing a much better job than you. We want you to move into more of a global itinerary ministry. And uh, we'll be resigning at the end of this year. So the ministry itself specifically has to do with counseling, whether it's teaching counseling or whether it's actually doing the counseling, encouraging, whether it's encouraging missionaries or pastors or teaching on that aspect, shepherding, whether it's pulpit supply or whether it's um, training pastors, and then finally in the area of teaching on some of these topics that I just mentioned. So that's, in a sense, what we'll be doing, and I'll fill you in a little bit more tonight after dinner. Um, when you think about our lives, when you think about our uh, daily activities, and you don't have to answer this, but somebody might want to. I don't have a book to give you, but I can maybe 
offer a lollipop from Aaron. Uh, what is one thing that we all do a lot of? Yes, sir. Thank you. We do a lot of talking. And if we're not careful, sometimes those words come out and they're not quite as edifying as we really wanted them to be. Or they're as sarcastic as we wanted them to be, but that really probably wasn't the best thing for us to do. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we get lazy or calloused to the words that we use. And when we do, we can leave hurts and wounds like we never meant to. If we're careful, we can leave encouragement and empowering words that will linger with who heard our conversation, that will lift their spirits for a long time to come. This morning, we're going to look at Proverbs 25.11, and it's there on the screen. But I'd encourage you even to look at your own Bible, specifically a word that is fitly spoken, is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. It's also translated in settings of silver. A display of a gold ball and a silver platter, you could say. Well, what significance does that really have? We can't guarantee this, of course, but more than likely, this was a result of a gift that was given to King Solomon. Now remember, Solomon, as a young man, was given the privilege of choosing, what do you want? He could have asked for wealth, he could have asked for fame, and literally wisely chose wisdom. God, of course, then said, well, since you chose so wisely, I would also like to give you wealth and fame. Well, because of that, and we all know the story of David, and then we know Solomon comes in, and he's going to be the one that's going to build God's house. If you read any part of part of the Old Testament, Solomon had a lot of resources. He was very wise, but very wealthy, and had a lot of fame as a result. And typically, when someone is of a, of a nature of having wealth and fame, acclaim, so to speak, you could say, you typically go and visit them. And in this country, in this area where he lived, again, this would be a resource that a gentleman put together, his name is Flavius Josephus, kind of a church historian. So he put together some thoughts, and more than likely, this was a response to a gift that Solomon received. So think about that. Here this dignitary comes into his palace, has, in a sense, that's just a picture, of course, but kind of comes up to his throne to give him this gift. And he receives this gift and he says, you know, a word that is fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting or a picture or a device of silver. Now, of course, I can't guarantee what theirs looked like, but this is just a 21st century Google picture of what a silver bowl with gold apples would look like. But that so impressed Solomon that he said, the gift is nice, but a word that is fitly spoken is just that nice. And I think if we're not careful, we don't often think of our words as gifts. We think of them as ways we just get through life. And I'd like to encourage you today to think about this proverb as a result impacted Solomon to put this, and of course we know God inspired his word, But he uses humans, used humans to write. And he put this down as a gift that was specifically 
a means in helping him to think, I need to realize how words can be gifts. So let's evaluate just a little bit now what all of these words mean. There's not a lot of words there, are there? A word, you can count them, a word that's fitly spoken. Maybe we can put that down in the little children's seat. How many words are in that verse? And uh, uh, figure that out. But as you think about that, what does the word, word, mean? So the word is a single, distinct, meaningful elephant, elephant, (laughs) element of speech or writing. It's used to form a sentence for communication of thoughts, intents, or meaning. Just that one little item. A word is a sound or a combination of sounds that has meaning and is spoken by a human being. Words can be used to give a command or a signal to begin, or they can be used as a signal to cease. Words can be crafted so they're convincing. Words also can be used to express agreement or disagreement. You have to use words to counsel, to instruct, to encourage, to reprove, to comment, to disapprove, disagree, and so on and so on it goes. Words take a lot of thought to put in just to crafting the right one. Then it starts and it says, a word that is fitly spoken. What does fitly mean? Well, it actually means it's well-suited to the occasion. It's well-suited to one's character. That would be the person that is saying it. It's well-suited to that person's character. It's well-timed. It's said just at the right moment. It's in a proper manner and it's in the right place and at a proper time. Now, this word fitly is not something we use a whole lot of today. But back in the 1500s, it was a word that was used often. And then it kind of about the 1800s, it stopped being used and now used very seldom, as I said. But it can, in a sense, be compared to how clothes fit. You like them to fit you just right, don't you? You think about that, and if someone gives you something that's a hand-me-down or it's a re-gift, if it's not really suited to you, you're probably just going to leave it in the closet. But if it fits you just right, you'll wear it out till the elbows show. All of that goes into fitly. And I'd like to encourage us to make sure we think of our words just as much as we think about our outfits. And then he goes on and he says a word that is fitly spoken. So this now would mean it's well-timed. You're going to make sure it's set at the right time, with the right spirit, and it's also well-expressed. What makes a word effective is it being used. So in other words, if you just think a word, it's not doing anything for anybody else. If you speak or write, it can impact a person's life. And impacting a person's life could be positively or negatively. So sometimes <laughs> it's actually best not to speak. That word you had in your mind, that sentence you had in your mind, that disagreement, uh, maybe a word shouldn't be spoken. But to speak a word, a spoken word, means that it will be uttered for others to hear, which in turn communicates something to them. Now, of course, in our day and age, a spoken word is face-to-face, but it can be remote, like a phone call, the old-timey 
answering machine, leave a message, you can leave it on your cell phone, same idea. WhatsApp, Marco Polo. But something for it to be fitly has to be still spoken. You just can't have a word without ever being used for the specific occasion. And then he gives you this comparison. It's like. And he compares it to apples of gold, and then, of course, a little bit later, setting of silver. When we've been on various mission trips or with folks that don't speak English as their first language, you often have to give them a comparison. They would ask you a word, and you're like, well, it's like, and then you try to get something that they would be familiar with and bring that to their mind. And so you think about is like, and this specific thing here, he's bringing them to compare it to something that's novel, something that would be maybe even in this case exquisite. It was this gift that he received. So it's like, and he says, apples of gold. When you think about gifts, you think about somebody asking you, what would you like for Christmas? Or what would you like for your birthday? And you say, well, I would just like, you know, I would like a green sweater. Well, what is that person possibly going to think right away? Where is the cheapest place to get a green sweater? And they run over to this store. I won't mention any stores because then you'll think I'm saying they're cheap. You'll run over to this store. You go in there. You find the green sweater that's on sale. You don't care what size it is. You don't care if it has button up and down the front. You don't care if it's mock turtleneck. You don't care V-neck. It's a green sweater. Bring it back. Give it to you. And they say, here, I gave you what you asked for. What happened? Well, you bought an extra large mock lime green sweater because that's the only one that no one else would buy. And then you give it as a gift. Well, what kind of a gift would that be? Our son has a shirt that one of our children gave him that says regifting. And so that's a, sh- yep, I'm giving that one to somebody else. But if you would have taken the time to say, what size do you wear? What color would you like? What design do you want? And what style or model would you like that sweater from? And all of a sudden, it changes from just a green sweater to hunter green, medium, button-down, V-neck. That'll be a gift he'll wear out, because he wanted that. And so that's the idea of, a, of, of is liked, is it's a comparison. It's a fitly spoken word. Oh, okay, it's like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's like a gift. Almost as if you're going to visit somebody's home or you're going to be in somebody's uh, uh, presence and you want to give them something really specific. You want to encourage them. Well, you're going to remember or find out what their personality is like, what kind of hobbies they have, what kind of enjoyments they have, refreshments, and then you find that gift for them. I know often uh, we've thought of the idea, one of the best kind of gift to give is the kind of gift you want. And of course, Matthew talks about we should have that golden rule. We should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And I think that fitly brings us into this thought. And then finally, he says, and it's like apples of gold in a setting or a picture of silver. He frames this in such a way, almost like framing a diamond on a black velvet background. That diamond looks a lot better on a black velvet background than it does on the glass Uh, countertop. And you do that to sell a little bit better. Well, that's the idea here, is they've put this gift in such a way that Solomon was impacted to say this. 
Two of the most precious metals were combined to show how valued Solomon thought of this person's visit and thought of this person's gift. It was a gift. If we're thinking of our words as gifts, I think it parallels those kind of sweaters. Do we really make sure it's going to be a word that is fitly spoken? It's going to fit them. It's going to be just right for everything about them. Or if we're not careful, we, we might get caught up in we're a little offended, we're a little frustrated, we're a little hungry. I'll just say whatever I want. Those words can never be recovered. So now how can we apply that to our lives today? All right, we know what that says. We'd all say, do you agree? We all agree. All right, let's go home. I don't believe God wants us just to agree. He doesn't want us just to be hearers of his word, does he? He wants us to be doers as well. So now let's do it in a little bit more of a practical side here. First, our words to be fitly spoken must be well-timed. Timing is critical when we speak. We need to take into consideration whom we are speaking to. Our spouse, our child, our boss, our friends, our neighbors. Then we need to determine their frame of mind when we're speaking. Are they busy? Are they relaxed? Are they frustrated? Are they at ease? Are they already doing something? Or is their attention focused on you? Is this a good time of day or night for them? Are you in the right frame of mind to share so that they hear and understand everything you're saying? So, a word that's fitly spoken, first of all, needs to be well-timed. Next, it needs to be well-suited to the occasion. What occasion are you speaking to them? Is it in the morning? Is it late at night? Are you speaking to them on your schedule or on their schedule? When they're hungry or when you're hungry? When they're running late or when you're running late? When they're consumed with another project or you're consumed with another project? Take into consideration that that item, that word, is going to communicate itself so well that they're not going to be did I understand what he was saying? Be careful of the timing, well-suited to the occasion. And then it also needs to be well-expressed. Expression is something that we all wear. We don't all wear green sweaters, but we all wear an expression. When you're stating something, think how others perceive not just what you're saying, but how you're saying it. A scowl or a frown, or pleasantness and smiling. Your tone of voice during a statement, is it harsh or critical, or tender and gracious? You can communicate the same thing after your child finishes practicing their piano. That was fine. That was fine. You said two totally different things. And I think at times, if we're not careful, we don't consider our expression in how we speak. And then well-spirited. It almost goes along with the well-timed, but it's the attitude that we have during our statement. Esteem others better than yourself. pastor was mentioning a little bit, uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It came to mind then. The second is like unto it, but it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. 
I think that's one of the most interesting comparison God puts in his word. Because it's not just love your neighbor better or more. He says, love them like you love you. And I know the person on this side of the podium loves himself. And God says, you just love others like you love you. And you'll love them a lot. So think about that idea of the well-spirited. We want to make them feel respected, loved, appreciated, and well-answered rather than slighted or ignored. I think even in the well-spirited would be what you're doing when they're talking to you. Thumbing through your phone, looking at your iPad, watching something somewhere else. Yeah, I'm listening. Keep talking. I, don't, I, I can't do two things at once. I mean, I, I don't have time to do both things, so I'm going to do them all at the same time. All that means is you don't do either one of them well. And the most important is your communication there. And then, of course, well-suited to their character. Temperament of the person to whom the statement is being made. How do you think they will react? How do you think they will respond? How are they going to receive my words? Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just going to say whatever I want. That's fine, but I'm afraid it's going to be one of those extra-large lime green sweaters that you're going to give that person. It's not going to be a gift. We should evaluate how the other person is going to receive this. Will they be encouraged or discouraged? Will they be motivated or harmed? Will they be calmed or will it agitate them? So well-suited to their, to their character. Boy, that's all from a word? Fitly spoken? I believe it is. Because we want it to be like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now let's do something just like that. There is your platter of silver. And let's go to Matthew chapter 20, 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. We've looked at Proverbs that told us a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Let's now put, I, I wasn't quite creative enough to get those phrases we're going to put up there in gold. I was afraid they might not quite, might not quite work. So Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 39. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the first two fill-ins we have, we have love God, and then we have love others. So now we take into account not just the word that's fitly spoken, but what is God's word now telling us in his words how we're supposed to do this? And first of all, let's love him and love others. That's part of the words fitly spoken. We have that as our backdrop. Let's keep doing that. And then in Ephesians, starting in verse 25, you want to jump over there. We'll look at 25 through 32. And Paul, of course, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Sorry, I hear pages turning. That's a wonderful, wonderful sound. That means I'm reading too soon. Put away lying, Speak every man truth. We're members one of another. We're, we're a family, so to speak. And then these verses. Be angry and what? Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So let me do a few words here. So that first, the next fill in there is be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. And then next, we need to be using uplifting words. 
And then thankful words. And then verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We need to use loving words. Insignificant deeds. Not, I have to do this, but I want to do this. Having a blanket of kindness, it talks about there. Be focused on what you're saying. Be affirmative of what is being said. Be appreciative of the other person. Be affectionate, be genuine, and be diligent. Be assertive, and yet be selfless. And finally there, love your neighbor like you love you. It continues on, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all, what? Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then finally, he brings us down to verse 32. He says, And be ye kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One of the greatest comparisons if you should forgive somebody who's offended you and they've offended you over and over and they've harmed you and they've hurt you, oh, I can't forgive them. Oh, I'm supposed to forgive them how? Like Christ forgave. Not like my friend does. Like Christ does. And in all these, compare that to what God says. So now I'd like to, this is just for us to think about it in a 21st century way. What are some ways that we can speak to others, that we can have a word that's fitly spoken? First of all, we do need to speak to people. I know you would sometimes prefer not to, but to speak to people, we need to smile at people. Call people by their name. I know it works to say, hey buddy, hey sister, hey brother, but everyone else is here as a brother and a sister. But not everybody's Molly or Sam. And use those names. Of course, be friendly and helpful. Almost like they are your guest. What would I do for my guest? And treat everybody the same way. Then be cordial. Uh, Be considerate of the other person's feelings. Be generous with praise. Be considerate of or be genuinely interested in them, be considerate of others' feelings, uh, be thoughtful of other people's opinions, and be alert to giving helpful service. Kind of call that the Ten Commandments of speaking the truth in love, of a word that's fitly spoken. Now, how can we apply this now to our lives? What can we do today? What kind of gifts are you giving with your words? Are they ten-cent words? Are they million-dollar words? Are they somewhere in between? It might be an interesting idea to say that to each other one time. And let's evaluate how valuable those words were. And I'm sure you've left your home at times with, you're just floating because of the kindness that was just shared with you before you left. And those other times you get to work or you get to another location and you're still grieved because of what was said. Or the same thing happens in the workforce how you've been spoken to. You have to make sure that you are giving a gift 
that will help that individual. The Bible shares in Acts 20.35 that it, what, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we all know how we'd like to be spoken to. In Matthew 7.12, Therefore all things whosoever, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even, though, even though to, so to them. How would you like to be spoken to and speak to others the same way? Spend time choosing just the right words like you spend time choosing just the right gift. Because I do believe words are gifts. Considering the other person, their words, their personalities, and then proceed with your words in the right way. So as you leave today, I'd like to encourage you to think of two or three ways in which you can use your words to show kindness to the people you know. And then do that. I love how Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such that builds up. So use that as the basis of giving grace to the people you're around. And then Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, in God's sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Have that as your gauge, kind of your grid. What I just thought, what I just said, would that be one of those that words of my mouth, thoughts in my heart, be acceptable in God's sight? And I believe as you'll take this as one of many encouragements, as one of many instructions, as one of many guides from God's word, I believe it'll encourage you, I believe it'll motivate you, and at times it'll stop you short and say, God, please forgive me for not giving this person the gift of a word that is fitly spoken. I trust this will challenge you, encourage you, and be a means of living for God's glory. I'd like to close with prayer and then turn it back over to uh, our friend here. Yes, to, brother, to, to my brother here. <laughs> God, I thank you that you do give us the privilege of being blessed by you. But then you give us ways that we should be living so that we are blessed by you. And I pray that we would take these thoughts to heart, be challenged, encouraged to continue doing all that we should for your glory and the good of those around us. And we'll thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.